but Neodium's in front of the 200. Trying hard, Torbrek, Centaur the inside, and wide round of Stampede Warrior, but uh, in front, Neodium with 100 metres left to go. Neodium's well clear for young Finnegan, and Neodium. Neodium's won the Birdsville Cup, second Torbrek, and Burden flashing home into third. So Five Neodium was too strong, and the Stokes family, who hail, of course, uh, from Birdsville, um, take out the cup. For the Brook family, who of course play a major part with the Birdsville Racing Club. And Tommy Stokes is on the line now. He's somewhere in between Birdsville and Adelaide. Um, good morning to you, Tommy. Whereabouts are you, mate? Uh, good morning, mate. We're at, um, just past Lynnhurst, so still probably got a, about 500 kilometres to go. Okay, so tell us about the trip from, from Adelaide to Birdsville. How far is it from door to door or farm to farm? Um, pretty much. Yeah, 1,200 kilometres all up. 600, we, we stopped halfway at Maree. Um, my dad and grandpa have quite a lot of connections the whole way through, basically. So we're able to stop by and um, let the horses out for the night. And, yeah, it just worked out really well. And once we got to Birdsville, it was, yeah, very smooth sailing because the Brooks family own the um, horse Neodium and they pretty much run Birdsville. So we're able to get a good... <laughs> good accommodation and um, the horses enjoyed their time and they were peaking on the back. Tell us the the history that your family has with Birdsville. Yeah, well, my grandpa managed a couple of stations close to there and they've got a lot of old friends there and um, my dad also grew up in and around the area so um, it was quite a special win for, for all of them and yeah, I'm just glad to be a part of it. And what was the experience like for Philip Stokes' as young boys heading to Birdsville in his old stomping ground and taking out the cup? Yeah, it was actually yeah quite humbling to see. Dad's very well known there, to be honest with you. He's well respected. And um, I've heard a lot of stories, you know, growing up as a kid um, about his time as a youngster. And it's just great to see what it was like in a way, it's like driving past all the areas that he grew up in. And, yeah, it's quite amazing to see that's how he grew up. How many Birdsville Cups have you been to, Tommy? That was my first. Oh, yeah, okay. first time. I've been to Maree once before. My grandpa took me there as a kid. But um, to go, yeah, all the way up to Birdsville, that was the first time. And I'd love to, yeah, have a horse that could, could do it again. So what was it? Was it what you expected it to be, all the stories that you would have heard over the years? It, it actually was. It was hard to believe the stories at the time, but now, now I'm sort of experience, experiencing a little bit of it, I can understand it all. So, so yeah, it was sort of. So what was it like if you're a young racing fan and you've never been to Birdsville, but you've heard the stories and you watch some footage on TV? What do you do when when you get there? Can you just uh, paint the picture for us? Um, yeah. Well, there's. There's one pub, there's one bakery, pretty much one of everything, and everyone sort of gathers around, and, yeah, everyone gets along with each other, and, yeah, it's just great to meet new people, and, yeah, it's just a great vibe. There was a big boxing tent there, um, which my brother was keen to do, but didn't do in the end. He pussied out of it, but, um, yeah, no, nah, there's just a bit of everything, and obviously plenty of beers, and, yeah, just a all-around good time. There's heaps of people that... Um, you know, take a caravan up or just even a swag, you know, and I reckon there was about close to 4,000 people on the racetrack and great weather and, yeah, all you can ask for. 
Sounds in like such a, in such an area with I think there's populations only a hundred, you know. Yeah, and people uh, get there. Your... Yeah, they drive, don't they? And they catch that. There's there's flights that, that come in there to to Birdsville. Yeah, there's all all different ways you can get there. So yeah, there's no excuse for anyone that yeah wants a trip away from home. Now tell me, there was running races and, and boxing as well. Your brother Karen, they tell me it was a good, pretty handy soccer player. So. Did did he win any of the the activities off the racetrack? Yeah, it was quite funny actually. We we're having breakfast and we saw all these people walking over in their fitness gear, and we wondered what was going on. And they were doing this big fun run, and my brother's like, "Oh, I'll give it a crack." And he's had had a mouthful of cereal in his mouth, and then yeah, jogged over and yeah, pretty much won it easily. <laughs> <laughs> were they betting on it? Nah, no betting, but um, he was he was confident. And what about yourself, Tommy? You didn't you didn't think about going to the boxing ring or um, nah, engaging into the running yeah. races? <laughs> I, I did the running race with him, but I couldn't couldn't catch my brother. That's for sure. So Neodium, tell us the story about Neodium. Obviously owned by the Brook family, who, as you said, are the, um, they own Birdsville in a way. Tell us the, the story behind him. Yeah, they actually bred Neodium as well. Yep. He's, he's a full brother to Terbium. He won yes. Group 3 at Flemington, I think, beat Zusane. Um, obviously didn't reach the heights of Terbium, but, yeah, he's, he's a similar type of horse. Dance to Dubai at the 300 metres, joined by Paracel and Benedetta three wide. Then came bound for home, who's looking for a gap between horses. Same as Jeek into the clear. Benedetta and Paracel together with 150 to go. Paracel kick from Benedetta. Paracel, Benedetta. Benedetta gets the better of Paracel and she won. Benedetta from Paracel, photo third. Wrote to Arataki. She's a winner, Benedetta. Every time she turns up to the races, she's getting the job done these days. And that was a, a top class victory on pace and she had to out muscle in the end a very good Cadolphin mare that was heavily supported there on Saturday in Paracel who had been in, in blistering form for James Cummings and the team so we all know that Benedetta's got such a big motor and um, she's building up quite the record now that's eight starts for six victories and a couple of minor placings and her Mornington trainer, Jason Warren, joins us. Jason, good morning to you. First of all, before we have a chat about your mare, it's not just Bed and Detta that's flying. All of your stable are in terrific form at the moment, mate. Yeah, morning, Gareth. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's nice that uh, it's not just one horse holding the uh, banner for the stable. The others are doing their part. And, um, yeah, it's very pleasing. We've got a um, good team of staff and uh, everybody's working really hard. I guess if it's like a football team, you've been to the draft and you've been pretty lucky with the players that you've been able to pick up and you've got some nice progressive types in your barn at the moment. Yeah, we do. It's, uh, it's really pleasing. We've got another another really nice filly that's uh, heading to Mooney Valley this Saturday in, in um, Treasure Way. Yep. Uh, she won a uh, Group 3 at the end of last prep and... Um, Look, she, she's come back really well. And um, obviously, Seb Song was uh, was very good winning the first race there at Caulfield on Saturday. So, uh, look, it, it's nice that, um, you know, we're not just relying on one horse to sort of fly their banner for the stable. And um, like I said, yeah, it's really pleasing. And Treasure Way, um, I was listening to Anthony Method on his podcast there the other day, and he's giving this horse a massive rap. And... She was so impressive there in the Breeders' Stakes at Morphaville at her 
Last start before going out for a break. What do you think her level is, this daughter of Star Spangled Banner? I think um, she's 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 high level. Uh, she will, I think, uh, compete in the the better three-year-old fillies races this coming spring. Um, she trialled last week at Mornington on the yes. course proper here, and uh, you know, uh, idled up next to Giga Kick, and I thought that was a pretty good benchmark <laughs> for how she's going. So, um, you know, we resume on Saturday. Uh, we we would like to see a little bit of this rain hang around uh, the rest yep. of the week and just see see that track have a little bit more give in. It's been a bit too firm of late, so um, uh, for us to run there, we want to see um, it not be as firm as, as it has been. Back to Benedetta. She was impressive once again, defeating Paracel there on Saturday. Um, have you had any calls for any slot holders for the Everest? Uh, not yet. Uh Sort of, I guess we've got to keep it as an option. Um, such a such a great uh, race to compete in if if we do get offered a slot. But um, we're sort of uh, weighing up other options at the moment. Uh, the the Moyers probably a race that uh, we we need to consider. Uh, feel that she's beginning much sharper than she was last time in and um, racing a little bit closer just to, just because of the the. First up at Flemington and second up there at Caulfield on Saturday, they went pretty steady and um, and she was quite up on the bridle and travelling a lot closer than what she usually would. So a tempo of a thousand metre race would probably suit a suit a better than okay. or eleven hundred would suit a better than going up in trips. So um, look, we're just we're let, just let it, enjoying last Saturday's win and 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 letting the dust settle before we sort of lock in another another target. And I guess, and we've had a chat to Imperatrice Camp about this, if if a mare does go into an Everest, they need to have a pretty good deal because it's going to be a difficult race to win, you would imagine. And there's probably more value in some of those mares going to a Moyer or aiming up at a Matacado and getting a Group 1 next to their name. Absolutely. Well, uh, the, the Moyer gives us an extra week for the Manicado, so yeah. it's sort of... It is a it is a better lead up option for us to get to um, the Manicado, and I think that uh, twelve hundred would really suit our our mare. Um, so look, it's like you said, you, you really you don't want to be wasting an opportunity to to have a live chance in a Group One for 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 another race that doesn't have that that tag as far as a mare goes. Yeah. And what about Mooney Valley? Do you think she'll enjoy racing around that circuit, which is unique, and we all know that. Look, I find that um, our horses obviously train a lot on the Mornington course proper and um, and it's a tight circuit. Uh, my stable have enjoyed a lot of success at Mooney Valley over the years, whether or not it's just a, a similar sort of shape. Um, you know, sharp horses that can sort of hold a spot and, and run on, I think, um, like, like Benedetta, I think, really suit Mooney Valley. So though she hasn't raced there, she, she, I expect she'll handle it very well. So she's had two runs back this preparation. Say you do go to the Moyer and the Manicado, is that it for her or do you think about heading to Flemington for the Darley? I think the the Darley would would be a a real target for us. She's very good down the straight. And uh, look, we we did in her her first racing prep, um, she went, went quite deep into her first racing prep. So... Um, I feel that we can hold or like keep the preparation going. Um, 
you know, for quite a period. So I don't, I don't find that, um, you know, it's going to be a short, sharp prep in any shape. And it's great to see Daniel Stackhouse getting an opportunity on a really good horse that can take him to some Group 1 glory because he was Country Victoria's leading jockey last season. He does a lot of work. He does a lot of miles and um, he deserves to fight a horse like this. And he seems to just really click with your mare. Yeah, look, she's, uh, Dan has uh, developed the, the, the confidence with um, having a few rides on her that um, have, you know, he, he, he rides her very confidently now and uh, he did wait there on Saturday until she sort of balanced up and then he really went for her late and it, that was probably the difference. Um, you know, Paracel, I pro- think, probably put a half a length on us there at, at the top of the straight at Caulfield and... Uh, Dan just waited till he balanced up and then really went for us. So I think he's, he's he knows our horse well, and um, I think it's a great opportunity for for him as well. And the best part about this story with Benedetta is that I saw Dino Conley. He was a boy from Birchett where I grew up, and he's based now at Reckless in St Razor. He's got a share in this horse with a few of his mates. So there's a lot of country people involved in Benedetta, and they're living the dream, Jason. It's great to yeah, see. Absolutely. Absolutely, uh, and also another team of guys from up at Echuca, yeah. and um, yeah, they were there on Saturday, and um, one of them said to me, uh, you know, this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, you know, to be in a horse like this, and um, obviously we know good horses don't come along that often, and um, they're very hard to find, so they're, they're enjoying the ride, that's for sure. Mate, you're flying at the moment. Um, good luck with Treasure Way. Can't wait to see what she can do if she does step out there at Mooney Valley on Saturday. But Benedetta is flying and um, it's going to be an exciting spring. Good luck over the next couple of weeks, mate, especially. And we appreciate your time here on Giddy Up. Absolutely. Thanks, Gareth. All the best. He's Jason Warren. He's doing a great job at the moment. He's got a really good team, including Benedetta, who's the star of the show and just having a look at the Bet365 market now for the Moya. And it's going to be a great Moya because you've got Imperatries that worked at the Valley today alongside Giga Kick. They both go around in the McEwen on Saturday. I think Imperatries is definitely going that way. She's at 420. Uncommon James trolled nicely in Brisbane at 550. This is the race for us for it. But when we had a chat to Henry DeWire this time last week on the Bet365 Country Racing Hour, he believed that she might not be a Mooney Valley horse, so she's only going to have really a light prep this year. Bella Nipatina loves the valley, loves sting out of the ground. Whether she'll get the sting out of the ground, time will tell, but she's at $6. IME at $6.50, what you need, the three-year-old at $6.50. Rothfire that's trialled the house down at $8. Acromantula at $15. Now, Benedetta's a bet there at $15. So she's $15 now for the Moya Stakes. And it's a difficult one when you have a look at, say, the makeup of the Everest. So we had Asfura and Benedetta who put their hands up in a way there at Caulfield on Saturday. But Imperatrice and the connections there at Tiako Racing have explained this as well. For mares to get or to put their hand up and to um, confirm a deal with the, the connections of these mares, you'd need to go above and beyond and probably give them a better deal than you would think because if they only run midfield, that means they give up a run and it doesn't allow them to win a group one in a Matacado or say a Moya stake. So 
they need to have the deal on their side, the mares, to compete in an Everest. That's why horses like Imperatrice especially have said that they're probably going to give the Everest a miss and concentrate on the Moy and the Matacado and the Dali at Group 1 level. So it'll be, it'll be interesting to see what happens with these mares going forward. I would imagine if you're a slot holder, you'd be ringing up Imperatrice. If she can defeat, say, a Giga Kick this week, then you nearly have to just give her a great deal and tell her to get to Sydney and she can compete in the Everest. Um, it's 8.31, Gareth Hall with you with uh, Giddy Up. This is the Bet365 Country Racing Hour. Just on that, so in Imperatrice, looking at the vision that I've seen today and Giga Kick, both work um, beautifully around the valley course. So I had a track out there today ahead of the McEwen on Saturday. Which horse are you with around the valley? Imperatrice or Giga Kick come Saturday? 0499 736 736. Let me know. 0499 let's take the news. Imagine what you could be buying instead. For free and confidential support, visit gamblinghelponline.org.au. It's Catch a Wave, the leader, ahead in front of Leap to Fame, getting out after it. On the inside, Captain Ravishing, all dressed up, nowhere to go. And then came the Lost Storm. Ed Cypher's putting in a claim, the mare, she's coming quickly. As Leap to Fame quickly goes to Catch a Wave, here comes the mare. And Cypher down the outside. The mighty mare's out after Leap to Fame. And Cypher goes up, puts the nose in front, comes away. A famous victory. And Cypher beats Leap to Fame. Third Captain Ravishing, fourth home in the race. Getting home late was it was unbelievable, really. The mare that was basically the last horse chosen in the, the slot race, the Eureka, and she delivered that performance, a world record performance as well. And uh, she's owned and she's bred by the Linky family. And Tyson joins us here on the line on Giddy Up on this uh, Tuesday morning. Tyson, first of all, congratulations. Is it sunk in that you have just won and you've bred the horse that's won the world's richest harness racing event? <laughs> Definitely not. It's uh, very, very surreal, Karen. Um, we're uh, we're still still getting used to it. She's uh, she's been amazing all all the way through on Saturday night. It was just incredible. Tell us about her journey. Um, obviously, she was. Um, we had the mare. Um, we raced the uh, the brood mare, and um, we won about twelve with her. She'd won two others, and. Um, she had a few little issues that we knew uh, when she was racing that she should have been a better horse. Um, and I was very lucky that one of our owners, uh, Ian Shepherd, allowed me to, to uh, breed the horse because he was no longer interested in the breeding side. And um, I thought, you know, the best thing to do would be to, to invest and invest well with her. And, and um, obviously Captain Treacherous was uh, was something uh, was a horse that uh, it was his second season and it was a big step up for what we normally breed, but um, I thought he was special and, and the cross worked well. And, yeah, she ended up, um, she was born at, next door to my mum and dad. Um, they've got a, the falling down paddock next door to their place. And, um, you know, they raised her up uh, early and, and then I sort of took over until she was healing. And uh, very early on knew that uh, she was too nice for me and, and um, I needed it to, uh, again, invest in her. And um, Very, very lucky that... Uh, uh, when I messaged Emma, um, they took her on, and, and it's been an unbelievable trip since then. I think it's a great message for everyone involved in the sport as well, especially in some of the minor states. And you make that point that that you had a really good mare, 
But to compete with the best and dream with the best, you've got to give yourself an opportunity to do just that. And I know people have got certain budgets and I understand that, but sometimes you do need to invest and have a crack. And that's what you've, that's what you've been able to do. And you've been rewarded for that by going to a horse like a Captain Treacherous. Yeah, and obviously um, Saturday night probably uh, you take um, uh, a look at that and you realise that this sport's probably one of the you know few still going around where a hobbyist can yeah. can compete against uh, millionaires or um, you know that still have an opportunity to, to reach you know your dreams and um, you know this sport's all about family and and um, and that's that's what this is all about. This horse is all about is you know we've we've you know, dreamt the dream and, and amazingly it's it's come off and, and we're on a heck of a ride. And it means a lot for South Australian harness racing as well because South Australian harness racing is making a little bit of a comeback, I see. Prize money increases, better size fields of recent times. You're racing a few times a week now and it's been a tough, tough period for the sport. But when you get a horse like you in Cypher that's been bred in South Australia, um, and then you get those prize money increases. All some and harness racing people are resilient. All you need sometimes is a little bit of hope. Are you getting that hope now in SA? Yeah, hundred um, percent. It's obviously, as you say, it's been pretty dark times for a, a long time, and um, seems like there's a bit of an aura in the industry at the moment of, you know, people are, are really, really positive for a first time in a long time. And yeah. harness racing USA are doing an outstanding job with that. Um, and yeah, we, it's, I know that, um, you know, she's not, she's trained in uh, Victoria, but she is playing a part in bringing awareness, um, you know, to the, the broader audience in South Australia. Um, Aaron Bain and his group are doing a sensational job with, you know, bringing new owners into, uh, into this state. And yeah, it is, it is, it's, it's fantastic to, you know, finally have some positivity in this state and obviously stake money and everything's sort of a, a byproduct of that. But, um, yeah, it's, it's certainly looking up here. Yeah, and well done to Summit Bloodstock. Aaron Bain, hats off. He's trading gallopers. He's getting a lot of new people into the game with the Summit Bloodstock team, and they have done wonders for the sport. Two young men, Jake Webster's involved there, that have lived their dream, had a vision, and they've gone out and chased it. And um, they nearly won that slot race in, in WA, the Nalabor. And then, of course, they, they team up with you. And I, it would have been extra special for those lads, lads combining with yourself. Then that South Australian flavour, like she's bred and um, uh, owned in South Australia. That's where they do a lot of their racing. Aaron Bain still trains in South Australia as well with his harness licence. So that would have been extra special for them as well. And I guess for you to share that experience with them. Oh, 100%. I've known the boys. Um, they're with friends uh, for a long time. Um, you know, Aaron, uh, we're distantly related, but um, you know, we're close. Our families uh, always close. And uh, Jake, I've known him for a long, long time, and he drove horses for me. Uh, yeah. You know, we, and uh, Jamie, I've sort of got, got to know him over the last couple of years, and they are a great group of guys. And as you say, they're bringing new owners um, into the sport. They're bringing interest into it. Um, yeah, they're doing a fantastic job. They're promoting it, uh, doing the best they can, and obviously it's going to be bigger and better for uh, the next couple of years with those guys. And, yeah, I wish them all the luck with everything because, you know, 
they're getting off their ass and, and doing some positivity um, into this sport. It's incredible. Yeah, they're making a difference. And you're a young man in this game as well. What was Eureka like? Harness racing, I think, desperately needed it. There was some criticism about how it was funded with the, the tax on the on the breeders. But oh, I, I, I yeah, reckon yeah. more people right. will go out and buy horses so they can dream or they might go to a Captain Treacherous now so they can dream to live what you live there on the weekend. And you're a hobby trainer, so a hobby breeder as well. So what was your... What was uh, your um, um, feelings after? Obviously, they were pretty high, but how did you think the Eureka went in its first year? Um, I was just 100% like you. I think, um, you know, starting off, I had that sort of a feeling. You know, I wasn't um, especially fond of the, the funding structure, but um, as far as the night and what it's brought to racing, as far as uh, outside eyes, you know, even uh, people in thoroughbreds or whether it be, you know, uh, even people overseas, um, you know, looking at this race, it's obviously brought eyes to the sport. Um, the night itself, I thought they did a fantastic job. They um, they really marketed it towards that next generation and similar to the Queensland Carnival and even um, the New Zealand Cup, you know, they had that party-type atmosphere, which is what we got to try and do is, you know, bring an entertainment factor to it. And, and it was a fantastic night overall. And, Hopefully it builds. Um, hopefully they can build on it again uh, for next year and, and probably some of the other uh, carnivals and big races they can learn off of, um, you know, what's working in Queensland and what's working in, in New Zealand and um, and what happened on Saturday night. Innovation's the key and that's proven in every code. If you innovate that you can have success and um, obviously harness racing people, they are resilient, but some ways you've got to find a way to, to try and, fund these innovations and hopefully down the track it will be rewarding for everybody involved in the sport not just at the highest levels but at grassroots as well and people like yourself can dream big breed a horse in south australia and win the world's richest harness racing event do you take her to melbourne now and compete in the victoria cup in all honesty i'd leave everything to emma and clayton they yeah. are the best in the business and i don't put any input into her um, as far as her racing or anything like that um, so they'll decide they see her every day. Um, so I'm not sure what you know what's next. Um, her biggest goal was obviously getting home and and um, getting into a, a um, back into a routine. But um, you know they'll obviously uh, have a way up of you know all the options. She's got a, quite a few options to the end of the year, and um, yeah, I will hear hear from them as far as where they want to go. Well, congratulations, mate. Um, you've bred and owned the first ever. You'll be in history and your name will be written history now um, to be, of course, the, the first ever owner and you're also the first ever breeder to taste success in much. the world's richest harness racing event, the Everest. She's a mare that you bred in South Australia. Has had 27 starts now, 17 wins, eight minor placings, and she's won $1.5 million, just to tick over $1.5 million, and she went a world record, 151.8. They're over the 2,400 metres, and she just didn't win. She bolted home. What a superstar mare she is. Well done, mate. Congratulations. You are the pride of South Australia. Forget the Adelaide Crows. You're the pride of South Australia at the moment. Well done, mate, and enjoy the moment. Thank you very much, Gareth. There you go. There's Tyson Linky, the owner-breeder of Encipher. She was the last horse involved in the, this race. She got a slot at the last minute. That's happened now in the, the Everest with Giggy Kick. The... Quokka with Overpass and now the Eureka with Encipher. So those slot holders, don't give up if you don't get the right horse.
usually the the obviously cobble went amiss, so they had to find a new horse. But usually, sometimes it's the slot holders with the patience that get rewarded. Eight fifty one. Let's take a break. We'll catch up with Simon Orchard straight after this to talk about the um, world's richest greyhound race, the Million Dollar Chase. Welcome back to Giddy Up, and this is about 365 Country Racing Hour. The Million Dollar Chase, the world's richest greyhound race, and the qualifying races are in full swing around New South Wales. And Simon Orchard from Greyhound Racing New South Wales joins us. G'day, Simon. It's been an entertaining start to the Million Dollar Chase. Morning, G. Yeah, it sure has, mate. We know that the first four across the line in the national sprint down there in Victoria couple of weeks ago, qualified for the semi-final. So Sage Tennille, Aussie Rocks, Tinker Norm and Postman Pat all safely through to the October 6th semis. We've only had the one regional final so far up here in New South Wales. It was at Goulburn last Friday and Firehose for David Gill. He loves Goulburn. <laughs> he loves Goulburn. Every time I talk to him, he says, I just love the place. And I think, why? Why do, why do you love Goulburn? Uh, look, Goulburn has been a happy hunting ground for him. He won the Goulburn Cup. Uh, he obviously travelled up there with Firehose for the Southern Stars. And for anyone that missed the replay, gee, it was hammer and tong between Firehose and Zipping Remus, who we know is, if not a rising star, already a star uh, of the Greyhound game. And Firehose is just a tougher dog. And Dave was really over the moon. He was excited to advance to his first ever semi-final of a million-dollar chase. And then we had two good stories in behind it, gee. Time Chariot for Glenny Summerfield and Tor Commander for Andrew Rowe. Andrew Rowe just said awesome about 100 times when I spoke to him on the phone. And Glennie Summerfield said, mate, when you watch him run around in the paddock, you dream about winning a million-dollar chase and you just hope you get a chance. So there's a couple of really good stories to already come out of the Goulburn Regional Final. Uh, And that's not it, G. We've got Maitland Final next Monday. Broken Hill on Sunday. Hell of a story to come out of that. Dubbo and Taree. It's Taree tomorrow, yeah. Cat Earns has got got a couple Um, of nice chances there, hasn't she? She sure does. Hurricane's Fury uh, was really good last week in the heats. I think it's a race between maybe Fat Boy's Dream in yep. the one and Hurricane's Fury in the two. Weffley Shield, drawn out wide, wants to be there, but I just think the two on the inside are the quicker dogs. So that's Tari tomorrow. Dubbo on Saturday, G looms as a battle between Young and, and Less Young, I'm going to say. Jack Smith and Dennis Barnes have three between them. And then the Young Brigade, Jay Opatea and Josh Board, two 20, 21-year-olds 20, have Anglin Luai, and spring elegance. So they'll be going hammer and tong Saturday at Dubbo. Mm-hmm. And how's this? Broken Hill, we saw two Group 1 trainers, Mark Delbridge and Robbie Britton, head out there with some absolute stars in Ailey Bale, Landon Bale, and then the, the Tears Dogs, Trooper and Trapper for Robbie Britton. They all safely advanced to the final, but I reckon it's one of the calls of the year when the local dog, who knows Lynn, for Kayleen Hatsy, the club secretary, just snuck up on the rails. If you haven't heard it, go back and listen to Broken Hill Million Dollar Chase uh, heats over the weekend because it was a hell of a call, and we, I reckon the call is still recovering. We might we might get the connections of who knows Lynn on on Giddy Up. That tell that that sounds like a ripper story because Broken Hill to have two of the stars of the sport in Mark Delbridge and Robbie Britton um, head to Broken Hill and they defeat the biggest names in the sport would they would have. There's more pubs in Broken Hill than anywhere in Australia, I think, per capita. So they, they they would have had a few drinks that night, I would imagine. Hey, mate, just hang on for a second. It's nine o'clock. We'll go to the news. Alan Joyce is stepping down as the boss of Qantas. 
in some breaking news, but um, we'll continue on our chat with you, Simon, straight after this. Gareth, all with you on this uh, Tuesday morning, four minutes past nine. Great to be with you. This is the continuation of the Bet365 Country Racing Hour. One of the very best is on the line. Simon Orchard from Greyhound Racing New South Wales. The Million Dollar Chase, the world's richest Greyhound race in the series, is in full swing. We've got the semi-finals of uh, the regional set up there at Taree tomorrow. And um, the semi-finals will be taking shape pretty quickly, Simon. And just having a look at the market with Bet365, a greyhound that's already qualified is the New Zealand greyhound, who's now with Jason Thompson in Postman Pat. That's the $9 favourite, Zipping Ramus at 11 Mortified at $15, and then big prices for the rest. Um, usually we can find some value in the million-dollar chase because it's a unique race. Because you can have greyhounds that have been dominating in other states and they look like that they would be hard to beat in a million-dollar chase. But it's a different ball game rocking up to Wentworth Park. It sure is, gee. They still reckon the Wentworth Park Blues are a thing. And I guess that's, that's what adds intrigue to the series. We've got all these dogs right around the state uh, going near and far to try and get their, their noses through to the semi-finals. We saw Zipping Remus obviously go down to Goulburn, for instance, last Friday, failed down there and then showed up at Maitland last night and ran the hands off the clock. So he ran the fastest time at Maitland. Maybe this year he went about a length quicker than Lemmy Dad went to win the Maitland Cup back in March. So Zipping Remus well-placed to qualify as maybe the second favourite in that all-in market. Look, Post and Pat's the one, I guess. Uh, speaking to Timmy Newbold, former Skycrawler, a little bit um, a few weeks ago, he thought Postman Pat was the dog to beat. Just had to get up to Wenty and have a look, and he trusted the Thompson Kennel, who have travelled a couple of dogs up to the Megastar, actually, this week, G. The final's on Thursday, so Pete Legagioni's looking after them. I'd be interested to see if Jace or the Thompson Kennel will head up or do the same thing and get Pete to maybe look after them, because he's won two of the million-dollar chases. He knows what it takes to win that race. But you're spot on. Tari final tomorrow. We'll get some more qualifiers. Bulleye today, we've got the Heat. So we've got uh, two heats today. The first four from each will go through to next week's final. And as we mentioned before the news, there's finals all over the place. Dubbo, Broken Hill, Maitland. And we've got Casino and Tamora to come in the next five or six days as well. And in between all of that, the Dapto Megastar on Thursday. Mortified (laughs) and Umberto equal favourites there at $3. Quantifiable, one of your greyhounds at $9. And a fire at $6.50. Stealth at $7.50. Remember this at $8. And Bailey Bear at $5.00. Bloody hell, who wins this? Who knows? It's a wide-open <laughs> no megastar, yes. Yeah, we'll be there, G. Uh, live coverage on the dogs.com.au throughout the night. Look, I hope, being a New South Welshman, of course, I hope Mortified or Quantifiable can get up from the two or the three. I know Chris O'Brien was just over the moon last week with Mortified's run. She's been off the scene for four months. She was so, so good at the back end of last year and early this year. And it was just that injury at the inopportune time which cost her some really big races, but for her to go back to her home track, she's won four or five at Dapto. She ran a really good time last Thursday in the heats. And the best part, G, for those who maybe want to jump in a little bit, a little bit early, Chris said yesterday that Mortified was on the lead for 10 days leading into that heat. She just had a little a little niggle. She got cleared the day before to race, and she came out and she absolutely blew them away again. So if she can improve off that run from box two with the kennel mate to the outside who likes to step right, I really like Mortified in the final of the Megastar. Love it, mate. Don't go anywhere. Let's get stuck into bag of tips on this Tuesday morning.